Tonight, Christ is born. It's really the second part. And tonight is glory. So it's really a continuation from this morning. Now we have a third part of this next Sunday morning as well. But the Christmas story is a story of God coming to this earth as a man to take care of our problem, the debt that we have, that we can't pay, our issue, our sin debt. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to take the first 20 verses here tonight. And it picks up on the theme that we saw this morning, this incredible prophecy given by Micah some 700 years before the Lord was born in Bethlehem. Would you join me and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Pray that as we open your word, Lord, attend to that which is life to us, your word. Would you bless us as you speak to us through these words authored through Dr. Luke, the eyes of a physician. Lord, one who was accurate and detailed. One who certainly would have known what childbirth was all about. Who records for us this marvelous event in this little tiny town of Bethlehem as our Savior Jesus is announced to the world in his glory and in his splendor and his majesty even when he was in a manger. And so we bless you. We pray that you would now bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this prophecy from seven centuries before the event, verse 1, Luke chapter 2, the glory of the Lord. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now remember, this is a Roman world. It's a world in which the cruelty of Rome and also the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, is known. But it came at a high price, and that price was that those who lived in the Roman Empire were taxed by Caesar. And so an accounting was to be made of all those that were in the region. And the way that happened is people went to the city of their birth. And so it is with now Joseph and his city of birth, which is the city of David. And the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And in that day, Syria was the remnant of the old Assyrian uh, empire, which was what we would call uh, southern Lebanon, southern Syria today, and really the Golan Heights of modern-day Israel. And so this area was the just above where Jesus would actually minister uh, in his time while he was in the region of Galilee, it would have been just slightly to the north of there. Uh, this was one of the ten areas of the cities of the Decapolis. And so this governor Quirinius is, is there in Syria, and we know him well. Uh, he left quite a bit of historical information, which is still available to us. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And so the term in those days is really referring back to what would already have been read if you had read Luke chapter 1. And so 
uh, Mary has had this, this encounter. She's going to be with child. And now that child is ready to be born. The living God is, is at work in the hill country of Judea. You know, sometimes we think that God only works maybe in church or in counseling appointments or only when we're reading the Bible or only when we're earnestly praying, but God is constantly at work everywhere and in every place. And that was certainly true in that time. He was at work in the hill country of Judea. He was found in Bethlehem. He was found back in Nazareth where Mary and Joseph had come from. And all throughout the ages, God had been at work doing exactly what God always does, which is moving in the hearts of man. Very often we're tempted to believe it's almost as though, you know, God's hands are tied in certain situations. But in this situation, we can see that God clearly even uses pagan kings, decrees that are not to the benefit of his children, but do accomplish his will. That master plan that God put in place, you know. So very often we read our Bibles almost in, in a linear fashion. It's like A plus B plus C plus D and we just read it in a line. And, and yet that's not actually the way the scriptures are laid out. The scriptures are laid out much more like a jigsaw puzzle. And the pieces will be drawn from one place and placed in their proper place. And in this case... The prophecy that Micah had foreseen in 686 is now coming to pass almost seven centuries later. And so God had pulled that piece of the puzzle and stuck it off to the border. I don't know how many of you like to build puzzles, but that's one of the things that we do on vacation. Connie always finds a you know thousand or more piece jigsaw puzzle and one of the first things that happens when we get someplace is that puzzle goes on the coffee table in the living room of where we're staying and the first thing that happens is God uh, just like the, the way we would construct a puzzle is he looks for the pieces that you know fit so for us when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle it's all the pieces with flat edges and especially the corners right well, some of the things in Scripture are like that. You, you can see they have a flat edge. Maybe they're a corner. They're the boundary pieces. They're things that you, you know what that is. But some of these prophetic pieces were pieces that were pulled out and stuck on the edge. And the whole world is looking like, well, where does that fit? How does the little tiny town of Bethlehem fit into this puzzle? Can you imagine reading the prophecy of Micah in Micah's day, saying, out of Bethlehem will come the ruler of all of the Jewish people. Everybody's going, yeah, right, that's a shepherd's town. And yet God was at work. God was doing what God alone can do. Operating in the mind of an emperor in Rome causing a taxation plan to be put into place. Now, most of us don't think in the context of God ever using taxes, amen? I don't. When I think about taxation, it's like, well, that's a government thing, and here's a spiritual thing, and it can't be one of the... It just doesn't seem to fit. And yet, in this case, very clear that God is using this taxation that will come from this registration. This actually necessitates a, a small miracle, 
This is what makes that miracle begin to happen. Don't miss the small things in your own life. Because sometimes those small things are God at work doing miracles. Sometimes those little things, those insignificant things, those things like a, a baby about to be born, which seems to us to be something that's just a natural part of life, and yet, in this case, that baby was Emmanuel, God incarnate in human flesh. And so God was working in the normal, seemingly meaningless things like a taxation plan of a Roman empire to accomplish his great plans and all that God had planned from the beginning of time you know sometimes we we think about what God does and we're kind of stuck in our own minds thinking through things the way we as human beings can think through them we garner knowledge, we inspect that knowledge, we kind of sort through it, figure out what is normal and what is real and what is possible and what is impossible, what seems to be the result of one thing versus another thing, what is logical, what leads one thing to another thing. That's the way we think on things. But from God's perspective, his plan had always been to send Jesus to this earth. Now that plan was now about to come to fruition. And it shows us that God has our past and God has our present and God is definitely taking care of the future right in front of our eyes. Sometimes we just can't see how he's going to do it. I guarantee you that there are people thinking, this is a meaningless event. This is just another baby, an unfortunate set of circumstances where this poor woman was drugged by her husband from her nice house there in Nazareth overlooking the valley of Jezreel. And she's now been taken on this long journey at the very wrong time, and yet this was God at work. Verse 4 goes on to say, And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. And so they're traveling south. Um, the total journey is about 85 miles on the way that the road used to run then. We're traveling to the city called Bethlehem. And so here comes the tie to our passage this morning from Micah 5. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Those Galilean couples beginning to head south. They more than likely would have headed down through the valley along the, the ridge to the meet, meet up with the road that comes up from Jericho. Uh, down to, more than likely to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem which is just slightly south of the city of Jerusalem. And so it was, verse 6 says, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now, we're not told when they took off. We don't know if she was four months pregnant or six months pregnant or eight months pregnant, but chances are uh, she was very pregnant when they left. And so these, this time to be completed is just simply saying she's now come to terms. She's ready to, to have this child. She's ready to give birth. 
And she brought her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And I always love thinking of this in the context, you know, we've kind of so cleaned up the Christmas story that it's kind of this beautiful picture and this was a pretty miserable existence for a lady who was pregnant that was 85 miles from her home. This was a shepherd's town. This was a place that was primarily uh, inhabited by shepherds. And so their homes were simple. And an inn during that day is what we would call a bed and breakfast, a B&B. You, you could have rented it on Airbnb at the time. You could have Googled it. You would have looked at it and said, oh, that cave looks nice. Uh, it was not an inn like we think about it. It was a space in someone else's home. And because the inns were filled, that means the space in other people's homes were filled. So what would have been left almost assuredly uh, and was attested to by most of those writing in the first century that where Jesus was born uh, was in fact a cave. Probably walled in on one or more sides. And if you travel today to the church of nativity in Bethlehem, uh, what happened in the first century was that area was protected. The second century, a small chapel was built over it. Now, by the third century, that was expanded. And by the time of Emperor Constantine, in the 350s AD or so, they built the first church of the nativity over that. That church burned down. It was rebuilt in 567 AD. And the church that is there now is largely the same church that was rebuilt then. So we're fairly certain that that cave that is protected by that church is at least in the general vicinity of the actual birthplace of Jesus. Jesus was born in a stable. But he was born to a pair that weren't married yet. And when you first look at this, it's almost seeming like, does anybody see something kind of messed up in this picture? Because by Jewish law, looking at poor Mary, who's now with child, they were betrothed. And so betrothal then, much like our engagement now, was you began to compile things, build a house. You lived with parents. And so Mary and Joseph were betrothed. The only difference between betrothal and our engagement is betrothal itself was actually legally binding. And so if the couple was betrothed, in order to become unbetrothed, you had to get an orthodox divorce. And so here you have this couple traveling around through the region who are not yet married, but she is very with child. It's the reason that Joseph is, is protecting her. He's, he's speaking to her as if she's the wife, and though she's not actually his wife yet, they are not yet married all the insinuations, the things that are going on. So they're, they're kind of on the down low as they're traveling. He's speaking about her as though she were, uh, in fact, already his wife. And he got that peace from the angel. The angel basically is reminding him, said, look, your, your wife is with child from the Holy Spirit. And he's like, say, what? 
Are you kidding me? But they knew something was different about this baby. The angel appears, says to him, Don't worry. Your, your wife has been faithful to you, and she is being faithful to God. And so they clear out this stable, take care of the normal things that you would find there, not suitable for an area where you're going to have your firstborn child. Amen? No doctor, no nurse, no anesthesia. Mary is a young woman, likely still a teenager, and she's about to have her first baby in an animal enclosure. And all of a sudden, the cry of a newborn baby begins the birth announcement of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an incredible picture. Only God could figure out something like that. You know, you and I, if we were planning the entrance of the Messiah into the world, uh, there'd be laser shows and bands hired and stadiums leased. There'd be some gigantic celebration, last for months. Imagine what we go through for sporting events. Things like the Olympics, where countries spend billions of dollars building facilities so some athletes can compete for a couple of weeks. And I'm a fan of the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I'm an Olympic junkie, in fact. I'm already thinking, Winter Olympics this time. This is the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's in a stable in a shepherd's town. Only God could think of something like that. Next we have the birth announcement. Pick up in verse 8. You have a couple of groups here. Some despised shepherds. And some heavenly angels. In verse 8 it says. And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. And when you read that. They were literally living out in the fields. That's where they lived. They didn't have homes. They lived with their sheep. There were shepherds in that same country living out in the fields. And in fact, if you travel today to Israel, to that particular region, the region of Judea, to the south and to the east of it, uh, you begin to spill down towards the, the Red Sea, very desolate, extremely barren, nothing but rock, looks a, a whole lot like maybe parts of southern Utah, without as many trees or bushes. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So here, all of a sudden, this birth announcement, this incredible heavenly scene, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah of the Lord shone around them. So much so that the shepherds looked at this scene and they're like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? This is not normal moonlight. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, 
I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. One of the beauties of the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is he came so that as many as would believe in him would be saved. So the announcement is for all people because anyone can know the Lord. Salvation isn't offered to just a select group. Salvation is offered to the whole world for God so loved the world, the cosmos, all humanity that he gave his only begotten son. He did not give Jesus just simply to the elect. He gave Jesus to everyone. Sufficient for anyone who will believe and effective to all who believe. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's an incredible picture of the the birth of Jesus. And interestingly enough, for some strange reason, the, the Jewish people despised shepherds. So much so that when they were in bondage, when you go through the book of Genesis, and we'll get there in our study, but in chapter 47, Pharaoh is trying to figure out some deep insult for the Jewish people, and so he says to them that they should confess that they're shepherds. And so they do that very thing. Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Shepherding was not exactly high on the list of professions that Jewish men wanted their Jewish sons to become. It was almost as if, well, that's all you can do. It's better than begging, but it's just a hair above being a beggar. And in fact, if there were no wild animals in the area, shepherding was sometimes just left to the children. If it was fairly safe or during the daytime, it was just like, well, even children can be shepherds. And it was to that group that this announcement was made. Men did real work. Men had skills and talents, but people who really didn't have much going for them. They were shepherds. And it was to that group, imagine, it was to that group that the Lord of glory was revealed first. And that should remind you of this. God is not the respecter of persons. He's not looking simply for the brightest and the best. He's not looking for the rich and the famous. He's not looking for the intellectual. God is simply looking for those who will worship him. Those who in simplicity will just simply believe who he is and say yes to his grace. Very visible here in the Christmas story. It was to these men that this announcement comes. Those early hours of the morning, highly likely no one else was awake. But they were awake enough to know that something special was happening. It's also interesting to me that due to its proximity to Jerusalem, just south by a day's journey, 
might not be too far of a stretch to believe that some of those sheep they were watching over would be offered up as Passover lambs eventually and yet born in that stable was the Passover lamb. Shepherds watching over the great shepherd. The good shepherd. Those shepherds were guarding animals that at least temporarily would make possible for the Jewish people to commune with God, atone for sin. And while they were there in that stable staring at Jesus, they were looking at the great sin bearer, the one who would take away the sins of the world. Maybe it was that they understood the value of the sheep. The sacrifice. Maybe God was trying to teach those that were in the regional lesson. We, we really don't know all of the details as to why God would have embarked on this story this way. But we know that Jesus wasn't born there because it was wealthy. We know that Jesus wasn't born there because it was prominent. We know Jesus was not born there because it was a typical crossroads. It wasn't some place that the word would get out all that quickly. But it was a place where honest people could believe. And the advice to them was the same that Zacharias and Mary and other shepherds got. It was fear not. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. The glory of God does that. When the glory of God speaks into our lives, we hear the words, fear not. That's what God does. He's in the business of doing that for all of us still to this day. And to that end, these angels and these shepherds become, in essence, heavenly preachers. They're speaking forth this message. It's the, the angels speaking to the shepherds and then the shepherds telling everyone else. Now, it would have taken a while for that message to get out. Because it's not like people wandered around going, hey, what did the shepherds say today? Matter of fact, in, if shepherds were brought into a situation where their character were being judged, they were normally not even offered the same type of care as the rest of the community. They were kind of the outcasts. But it was to them that the Lord of glory was revealed. I want to remind you that you're important to God. What you know matters to God. What you can share matters to God. He shared truth with each of you. And he's asking you to do exactly what the shepherds did. Which is to simply tell people about Jesus. Who he is, why he's here. It's why this Christmas story is, I, I just don't believe it should be confined to this time of year. Yes, it's true, it's seemingly more important because there's some attention around the world that's drawn to this date. But the Christmas message really is the message of the entire Bible. It's the beauty of it. Notice the content of this message. There's three basic parts to this. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. 
And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Perhaps you have a translation that reads something like, Peace to men who are the objects of God's good pleasure or good favor, or on whom God's favor rests. All those things are true. The inference that's being made there in the original language is the only way to have God's favor is to have his peace rest on you. The only way to have what God wants for you is to have who God wants for you. And that's a relationship with his son Jesus. Without that relationship, you can't have the peace of God. If you do not have the Lord Jesus, you're, you're not ever going to experience the peace of God. You may have circumstantial peace, but the peace of God comes from knowing the Prince of Peace, his own son, personally, as your Savior. And so there's three things here. If there was any doubt about the identification, it was just made very clear. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Notice there's great praise. They're singing glory to God in the highest. Glory in the highest places. In other words, the, the angel's exclamation of praise reached up into the heavens. This wasn't just an earthly event. This was a heavenly event, and we know that because a multitude is going to gather with them, and that multitude was undoubtedly the heavenly host. It's as if the ho heavens opened up in this great praise. There's all kinds of times when before this God had poured out his graciousness, when God had been supremely good to mankind, when God had withheld his wrath, when God had poured out immense blessing. But nothing in human history ever equaled this moment. Matter of fact, nothing did before and nothing has since. This is it. This is the greatest praise that's ever been on this earth was the birth of Jesus. So far as the scriptures speak to us. This is the event. This is the greatest praise and worship event that ever occurred on planet earth. It wasn't a stadium filled with people all singing praises to God, as wonderful as that is. This was a heavenly host that gathered together to announce the birth of Jesus. That was the content of the message. There was also a great peace. On earth, peace and goodwill. The kind of peace that God gives. The kind of peace we were talking about this morning, if you were with us. The kind of peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. When the Prince of Peace governs your heart, rules your heart, you have that peace of God that surpasses your own human understanding. Guards your heart, guards your mind. It's perfect peace. They understood a, a measure of national peace. Rome actually caused some of that to come about. But there are so many things, when you look at it, look, earthly emperors can give peace from war. They can give peace on the seas. They can give peace on the roads. They can give peace in travel. But it's an entirely different thing to give peace with God. And it is that peace with God that matters most. 
When I have God's peace, then I have the peace that I absolutely need. When I have the world's peace, that peace is going to be fleeting. If it's peace from conflict, more conflict will follow. If it's peace financially, you're going to have financial peace as long as that peace of the financial peace lasts. But eventually there'll be a need. Eventually something will happen. Believe it or not, billionaires still go broke. There's an article just two days ago. One of the world's richest people lives in Russia. Lost his entire fortune. $18.9 billion. And he didn't have two rubles to rub together anymore. You would think that that much money could buy you peace. Four days later after the announcement, he took his life. I don't know where he stood with God, but I know this. Have money, couldn't buy him peace. All the things of this earth can't do what Jesus does by grace. That's the only place to get that kind of peace. He is peace for the tortured conscience. He's peace for the restless soul. He's peace in those times of trouble, even though he doesn't always end the trouble. The trouble remains, but some crazy way he works brings peace even in the midst of the trouble. And in all of this, there was a great purpose. You see, that peace was going to become the possession of of a very specific group of people. Those upon whom the favor of God would rest. Anyone who believes. You see, in this particular region, Rome was an iron hand. In this particular region, if you got out of hand with Rome, you could be in trouble. And yet it was in this region that the angels are announcing, you can have peace provided you have the favor of God resting on you, it would be Jesus that would bring that particular peace. Because it wasn't just a cessation of war. It wasn't that everything was taken care of on this earth. It was that your eternity was taken care of. You see, that's the difference between having an earthly perspective and an eternal one. An eternal perspective puts those things in this life into a completely different realm of thought. And it is there that the love of God touches us. It's there that the love of God works in us in the Christmas story. That great purpose is that God would be glorified in our lives and we would be reconciled to him. And basically he's saying if you want to have peace, if you want to know peace, you have to know the one who's the Prince of Peace. You have to know Jesus. That narrow way. That one gate. The only bread of life. The only water of life. That's why he came. When you reflect on this, you see five things. The birth of Jesus was no accident. And in fact, when you read the prophet Isaiah... Very specifically, 
Isaiah 52 and 53, but very specifically 53. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, verse familiar probably to most of you. For all we like sheep have gone astray. Notice how many that includes. All we like sheep have gone astray. You ever wondered why the Apostle Paul would write, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Because these alls are connected. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have everyone turned unto our own way. You see, the problem with mankind is all we like sheep. Everyone is a sinner. We all need a Savior. That's the problem. Jesus was the answer to that problem. Christ who was born in Bethlehem was the answer to man's problem that Isaiah the prophet described. And there in Isaiah 53, in verse 6, it, it finally says, And the Lord has laid on him. Who is that? The him is the Prince of Peace. The him is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The him is the Savior. The him is the Messiah. The him is the Lord of Glory. The him is God's own Son. The him is the Great I Am. The hymn is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has laid on him, the prophet Isaiah would say. God speaking through him the iniquity of all of us. So twice in that one verse, all we like sheep have gone astray. And every last bit of your iniquity, my iniquity, the whole world's iniquity was laid on Jesus. But the beautiful part is this, by the time you get to verse 11, 11 there in Isaiah 53, there's another word that's, in, that's used there. And it says in verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul, of the baby who was born in the manger, the child who was born, the son who was given, God would see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant, the Messiah, Jesus, would justify, notice this, many. It does not say all. Because all don't believe. All haven't believed. Not everyone will believe. But anyone can all can be saved. The problem is, is men love darkness. Men love darkness more than they love the light. And so they won't come to the light. And so the price was paid that's sufficient for all. But the one on whom God's favor rests are the many. Those who believe. Those who receive, those who've said yes to Jesus. And the prophet Isaiah says, For he shall bear there the many's iniquities. Your sins, my sins, taken, washed, 
And so when you look at this passage, you talk about how extreme his power is. His power is so extreme that it can take care of all of the sins of the world. That little baby that was born in that manger had the capacity to forgive every sin ever committed by every person that's ever lived. That's extreme power. Because I know if I tried to pay my own price, that's not working out so well. And that's just for me. Incredible power of the Lord to forgive and to cleanse and to wash. How exciting is that promise? For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine people hearing that? Can you imagine the shepherds? This is the Lord. This is the promised one. This is the Savior. Interesting word, Savior. Because when you use the word Savior, it implies you have something to be saved from. But there's an issue and you can't take care of it. You need to be saved. Jesus was our rescue. That baby was your rescue and my rescue. That child who was born, that Christ child, was God's rescue of mankind. Sent the, sent him into the world that the world through him might be saved. How extensive is that provision? For the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you great tidings, or glad tidings, or tidings of great joy, all of which are correct, which shall be to all people. And in other words, the provision was extensive enough for every last person who's ever lived. For the all. Completely sufficient. You see, for the Jewish people at that time, they, they had bought into a lie of, of even segregation as we know it in our day and time. The Jews didn't hang out with the Samaritans. The Jews didn't hang out with the Gentiles. The Jews were hanging out anywhere near Gentiles. They were actually that, the Gentile city was considered unclean. You don't go there. But Jesus came for the Jew and for the Gentile for the Jew and for the Samaritan, for the man, for the woman, for every tribe and tongue and nation, for every skin color and every language. For in him there is no division, no schism. How extensive was his provision? It was for all. It was for everybody. No matter where you were born, no matter what you look like, when Nelson Mandela was finally put into prison, directly before that, the Council of the South African Churches had a meeting, and it was during the time of apartheid. And it was so bad that the middle of the sanctuary, church was a typical smaller church that had two aisles, two seating sections, much like the two center sections in this sanctuary. 
and there was an aisle. The white churches were on one side and the black churches were on the other. And a representative from the black churches in South Africa stood up and and made the assessment, is this chasm too wide for the love of God to bridge? Are we going to allow an aisle a few feet across to separate us from the love of God? And no one was moved, neither side. And he said, God would never have any of this And he sat down directly in the middle of the aisle. And he says, I will not move until the Lord brings us together. That's what Jesus did when he came. He paid the price for everyone. His provision is sufficient for all. And there is nothing that we should do that tells anyone any other story because we are one in Christ. There's one Lord and his name is Jesus. How extraordinary is that peace? Glory to God in the highest places is basically what it says. Said heaven's rejoicing at the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The angels are basically saying, look, we're we're throwing a praise and worship service over this birth. Extraordinary is that peace. So much so that it bridged between heaven and earth. The peace of God bridged between heaven and earth when Jesus was born. Mind-boggling when you really think about it. Because you wouldn't think that heaven would ever want to come down to earth. But heaven came to earth. And one day that's going to be the normal state of affairs, amen? It's going to happen permanently, eventually. The glory of that baby born in the manger was the only way to truly have peace. To know Christ is to know peace without Christ, no Christ, there is no peace. You have to know him in order to have that kind of peace. And how ecstatic was that praise? The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen and was told unto them. That praise looked like this. What a, what a progression. They heard it. They came to what they heard. When they heard, they came running to that kind of praise. It's a picture for us at Christmas. We need to run to Jesus. And find out where that praise is happening and go there. They saw it. They witnessed it. You know, if you don't run to praise, if you're not going towards God, you're not ever going to see what God wants you to see. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. 
But if you wander away, you can stay in the wilderness. He'll let you do that. The way to have praise like this is to draw near to God. Find out where he's at and go there. Hang out with Jesus. And once they'd done that, they began to testify. You see, when you've had an encounter with the true and the living God, you can't help but tell other people about it. It's a natural progression of what happens to you as a child of God. All of a sudden, you just begin to tell people, look, this is what happened. I was there. I heard it. I ran there. I saw it. This is what I experienced. We call it our testimony. And the result of that is they rejoiced and glorified God. That's why I believe the angels said said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men or goodwill towards those upon whom God's favor rests. The reason they're saying that is this is a, a situation where the glory of God was visible. How we desire for that in our own lives even to this day. I want to see God. I want to hear God's voice. Wherever he's at, that's where I want to be. That's what I want for us as a church. That is our testimony. Your testimony, my testimony, our testimony, this is what God did. We saw it. It happened to us. And the result of that is you just wander around rejoicing and glorifying God. It's like, God, you're too good. This incredible peace that we have, this incredible joy that comes from knowing him. That's what the shepherds experienced. That's what the angels proclaimed. And it should be what we as a church do as well. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. from the glories of heaven to this earth to a stable in a little town in the foothills of the southern mountains of Judea. Lord, a place where no fanfare, no glory was found in and of the place, but the glory of the universe, the creator, rested in that manger Lord, as those shepherds looked on, as the Magi would come, as Mary and Joseph and those who heard, maybe the innkeeper and his wife, Lord, all those that were there that evening, Lord, got a glimpse of heaven in the face of a baby. And we pray that we'd see your face, Lord. We'd see your glory. We'd experience it. That as we run to you and hear your voice, we would also be the bearers of your praise. And so, God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for that glory that came down to this earth and rests on us still, Lord, as we believe in you. You are busy glorifying yourself in us. We can't wait for the finished product. In the meantime, Sanctify us, wash us, make us new, 
but help us to sing your praises, to glorify your name wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.